liked it. I remember one of the first uh, youth conferences uh, with Calvary Chapel that I w- took a group to years and years ago. Uh, a guy named Ken Graves was the pastor. If you've never seen or heard Ken Graves, he sounds exactly like, um, who's that singer uh, from Las Vegas, singer? Tom, Tom Jones. He sounds exactly like Tom Jones when he sings. <laughs> it doesn't bother me, but he's got like a real deep lumberjack voice, and he looks exactly how he sounds, right? So if you've ever heard Ken uh, preach and you imagine in your head what he looked like, that's what he looks like. He's like a big dude, and... Um, he was, he, was, he was teaching, I love this thing that he said. He was like, there's no such thing as teenager, you know. He said, you're either a boy or a man. You're either a girl or a woman, you know. And I was like, I like that. I like that, you know. The fact that I was a boy till I was 30 notwithstanding, you know. Um, you know, I like that. And, and so I, I like to reflect that. When I was growing up in, in youth group, uh, it was... A, it was and I, I was the president of the youth group, okay? And you've heard my testimony, <laughs> and you're like, how does that go together? It don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it was like, you know, how many girls from the youth group can I date, you know? But really, you know, so it was, it was, it was just, it was, in my opinion, um, that's, not what, that's not what kids or adults need. They need the Word of God. That's it. That's it. You know, when God was telling Moses uh, about the law and, and how he wanted them to continually be talking about the law of God and continually be talking about the things of God with, his, with their children and with their families, when you rise up, when you, when you're, when you go along the way, when you, when you go down to bed at night, be talking to your children about these things. And make sure that you use felt boards and make sure that you make it palatable for the teenagers, right? No, teach them the word of God. You know, one of my favorite teachers, Gil Irwin, said, if you can't make it easy enough as a preacher for kids to understand it, it means you don't understand it. It's not that difficult. People try to make the Bible a difficult thing so that they can deliberately dismiss it. Okay? The Bible is not that hard to understand. There are a bunch of things in the Bible that are beyond us. That's true. There are a bunch of things in the Bible that we look at and we go, I I don't know how that's going to happen. I'm not sure how that's going to go down. But the the core of the Bible, the core of the Bible, what the Bible is, is not hard to understand. It's very simple. We are sinners, okay? This is is why we're here today. We're not here because we're holy. We're here because we're sinners. Everybody is sinners, Everybody is a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's everybody. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. That's the only thing that, that, that makes up the difference between heaven and hell. One, well, hell was created for, for judgment, the lake of fire specifically. But the difference between heaven and hell from our standpoint, one place God is and the other place God isn't. To go to hell is to be separated from God for all eternity. Why? Because... God will not, cannot abide in the presence of sin. Sin and God don't go together. They don't mix. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. That's why he said to Moses, no man can see my face and live. It's not because he's so bright that we would melt or something like that. It's because he is the, 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 the absolute embodiment, if, if that's the correct word to use because he's spirit, of holiness and righteousness. And no sin in his presence can dwell. We would literally cease to exist, I think is how that would look. 
if we were in the presence of Almighty God. So how in the world, how in the world can man be justified to God? How in the world can that broken relationship between man and God because of sin, how can that be mended? How can that be made whole? Well, we're in the Old Testament, and we're talking, last week we talked about the Day of Atonement. We're talking about the sacrificial systems that God gave to Moses because he was willing to accept these sacrifices, these blood sacrifices of animals as a propitiation or a covering for sin. Now, we need to remember when we're studying these things that it is always a temporary covering of sin. As the writer of Hebrews says, there is no way that the blood of sheep and goats and oxen and turtle doves and the like could ever truly wash a human being clean of their sins because sin is a matter of the heart. But God was willing to accept these sacrifices in the, fa- in, in, the, in the sense that they were a preparation, they were a foretelling, they were a prerequisite to that final sacrifice that was going to be made once and for all time. That perfect sacrifice that was going to be made once and for all time, the blood of whom was sufficient and enough to cover all the sins of all mankind for all time. And the Bible talks about in the fullness of time. Jesus came in the fullness of time. This is a, it's a doctrinal thing. The fullness of time. At just the right time. That's when Jesus Christ came. Historically, when Jesus came, it was just the right time. The roadways that the Romans had built, uh, all of the seaways and the shipping, shipping routes, and everything that was set up by the Roman Empire made it the very perfect time in history for Jesus to come, die, raise from the dead, fill his church with the Spirit, and then for the gospel to be spread throughout the entire known world. It was the perfect time. It's not an accident that Jesus came when he came. But before that, before Jesus came, something still had to be done for a human being's sins so that they wouldn't die in their sin. Because to die in our sins is to be separated from God for eternity. And so God gave the children of Israel and anyone who would believe in this, these animal sacrifices. And that's what we've been talking about. Uh, And today, specifically, we are in chapter 17 uh, of Leviticus. Chapter 17 of Leviticus. And um, we are talking today, of course, about... Oops, there goes my... Disaster. We are talking today about specifically about the blood and also the correct place of sacrifice, interestingly enough. Now remember, chapter 16 is the Day of Atonement. That was the day when, when atonement was made by, specifically by the high priest for the entire nation of Israel. Not only were the, was it just the people of the nation of Israel who were atoned for by the high priest, the high priest himself was atoned for, the high priest's family and the rest of the priests were atoned for. The articles of the tabernacle and the tabernacle itself was atoned for. And the people of the children of Israel were atoned for on this, the day of atonement. Of course, the day of atonement, we talked about it last week, was a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ was going to accomplish himself 
it's interesting when you read through some of these ceremonies, the different animals that have to be used and the different people that are, have to be involved, all to give you a picture of what Jesus was going to do alone, right? Uh, you know, you have the scapegoat. You have the goat where you put your hand on the one goat and you transfer the sins of the people onto the goat and that goat is, 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 is sacrificed. And the, excuse me, there's one goat to sacrifice and then the scapegoat is the goat that you put your hands on, the priest would, transferring symbolically the sins of the people to the goat and then that goat would be set free, symbolizing that Jesus Christ was going to be sacrificed, both our sacrifice and also the first fruits of the resurrection, which is freedom to you and I. That setting it loose, that sending it away to a far off place. The Bible says that God takes our sins and separates them as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. That was what was accomplished in Jesus Christ. Uh, but in 17, we start to, to pinpoint a little bit more. We're going to be starting to get into some of the more finer details of the law. Going from the sacrificial system and the ceremonial sacrifices and some of those laws, now moving into more of the social. But at the center of that, and it's interestingly enough, before Dad starts getting into the moral laws in chapter 18 in the second service, in between the ceremonial laws and the moral laws, we have this law concerning the worship of our God and the sanctity of blood. Okay, so Leviticus chapter 17, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in a camp, or who kills it outside the camp. Now, notice specifically these three animals. The ox, the lamb, or the goat. These are sacrificial animals, okay? Anyone who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. So this is going to change a little bit in Deuteronomy. When the children of Israel are getting ready to enter into the promised land, and as they are spreading out throughout the promised land, God begins to make provision for them to be allowed to offer sacrifices in places other than the temple, the tabernacle, or the temple. Now remember, the tabernacle is this portable place of worship that God specifically had Moses set up for the children of Israel so that they could have a place of worship and that also it could then be broken down at any point in time and they could follow God wherever he led them. Okay, it's a beautiful picture of our relationship with God. Remember that during the day there would be that pillar of cloud that would settle over the tabernacle and at night this pillar of fire. Imagine what did that look like that would settle over the tabernacle and when that would move, that's when the children of Israel knew it was time to move on and they would be able to collapse the tabernacle and all of its articles and move it on. When they went into the promised land, uh, and of course it was, it was years and years and years after they went into the promised land, that finally the temple was erected, the temple was built, the temple was set up, and that's where the place of worship was. But during this time, when the children of Israel, the nation is all together in one place at a time, and the tabernacle is the place of worship, God is specifically reminding Moses to tell the people that don't go just offering sacrifices or these sacrificial animals at your house. That would be fun, that would be nice, you could just lean out the tent and... 
you know, and put an arrow in it and awesome. Hey, God, that one's for you, you know. But no, God had set up specific instructions in the way, for the way in which each animal was to be offered. We've been through all of that, right? The sin offerings and the fellowship offerings and the burnt offerings. It goes on and on and on. And God is holding the people accountable to know his law and to abide by it. It's very important. The specifics, a lot of times, in my opinion, aren't as important, aren't as important as the fact of obedience. As obedience. Remember when Saul is waiting on Samuel to offer the sacrifice before they go up against the Philistines in war and battle. He's waiting on Samuel, and he's waiting on Samuel, and Samuel's waylaid, and Samuel's late, and he's not there yet. So Saul takes it, King Saul, the first king of Israel, takes it upon himself to offer the sacrifice. And just as he's doing that, Samuel shows up. Perfect timing, right? Hand in the cookie jar, right? And Samuel is like, what are you doing? Well, you were late, and blah, 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 blah. And they have this discussion, and during that discussion, remember what Samuel says to Saul. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And he says, but rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is idolatry. Interesting. It's one of the first times that God is going right to the heart of the matter. The sacrifices were important. The sacrifices were given by God for the covering. But God is still, even in the Old Testament, God was concerned with the heart. God was concerned with the condition of the heart. It's about obedience. Remember when during the, during the kingdom years, and God says to the prophets, your new moons, your festivals, your Sabbaths, your feast days, your sacrifices, my soul detests. Well, you're the one that told us to do it. Right, but God wants the heart of a person, not our religious obligations, not our good deeds. That follows. Man, so often people want to put the cart before the horse. And they think it's, I'm a, well, I'm a good person. Well, I'm a good person. Well, I'm a good person. Well, first of all, Jesus was the one who said, no one is good except for God. Remember, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good teacher, and Jesus stopped him right there. Wait, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. Jesus was saying one of two things, either that he was no good or that he was God. You choose. And he was saying this to the rich and ruler. No one's good. There, there, is no, there is no good. Well, I try to be good. I try to be good. It doesn't matter how good I think you are. And I think you're pretty good, those of you in here that I know. I think you're pretty darn good. Most of you better than me, right? I think you're pretty good. But it doesn't matter how you add up to me. It matters how you add up to God. It matters how you add up to God. The Bible says that if you've broken one portion of the law, what? You've broken the whole thing. And you stand guilty. Your intentions don't matter. Here's one that's going to hurt your feelings. Your feelings don't matter, right? Your feelings, our feelings. Well, I feel that, I, and I feel that, and I believe, and I feel, who cares? Who, no, I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk, or, and I know that just comes naturally, but I'm not trying to be a jerk or hard, or, or I'm saying this, right? I'm saying this. I'm going to jump out of this airplane, and I'm going to be okay. Why, why do you think you're going to be okay? Well, I feel that the earth and the sky and the, blah, 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 you know, uh, who cares? You're going to die, son. You're going to curse flat. It doesn't matter what you feel. 
It doesn't matter what you think. And yet when it comes to eternity in our relationship with God, people run around, well, I feel that God needs to take into account. Does he? Does he need to take into account that you're going to stand there as judge of Almighty God? Remember what he says, what, what Paul says in the New Testament, in his epistle, he says, shall the clay say to the potter, why have you made me thus? The potter does as he pleases. And see, the issue at the heart of all of this for mankind and for us is rebellion, right? We're Americans. I'll put on my Minuteman hat, get my musket, put on my MAGA shirt, clap on the sidearms, and march to the Capitol, you know what I mean? I rebel, Oh, Cuomo, ah, this, ooh, ah, this, because I'm a rebel at the heart of it. Yes, I love the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I love that stuff. They're some of the greatest documents ever written. And I'm proud to be an American. But at the heart of it, nobody tells me what to do. I'm free. That's what it is. That's the heart of mankind. We're rebels. And in the face and in the presence of Almighty God, rebellion just ain't going to cut it. Doing it my way doesn't, isn't going to cut it. God doesn't care. Okay? Now listen, he says, the Bible says that he cares about the sparrow that falls from the sky. Not a sparrow falls from the sky, but that your Heavenly Father knows about it. So don't think that God's up there going, I see you're sad. Who cares? Suck it up, buttercup. You know, that's not, a, that's not our Heavenly Father. Then please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We need to be, we need to be gentle. The Bible says that those of us who are strong should uphold the failings of the weak. We're not supposed to be out there hammering on people. And it's not that God doesn't care about people's feelings in the sense that he doesn't care if they're sad or if they're upset. Of course he does. Jesus was so gentle with sinners. So gentle with sinners. But when it comes to God's laws and statutes for the worship of him, and for his will for our lives, it ain't up for debate. Right? It's like good parents. You say to your kids, obey my voice. Obey my voice. Kids want to have a discussion. Okay? Go clean your room. But, but, but I feel that when I did this, go clean your room. And when we're training our kids to obey our voice, remember, I, tell them, I used to tell my kids, all, little kids all the time, I need to be able to tell you, stop and know that you're going to stop. So that if we're in the yard, and you're running towards a ball that's going in the road, and there's a truck coming, I need to be able to yell to my three-year-old, stop, and know that they're going to stop. Because the consequences could be death, right? And it's an extreme example, but it could be anything. That's the purpose. I don't want my kids to obey me because you need to recognize that daddy's the king. Get my crown, you know what I mean? Rub my feet. That's not what it is. I want to teach my children to be obedient so that their lives are happy and healthy and successful. And the bottom line is, is if you're the kind of person who can't ever do what you're told and be obedient, you're going to have trouble. <laughs> You're going to have trouble. That's the first 24 or 5 years of my life. Nothing but trouble. Because I couldn't do anything that I was told to do. I was a rebel. Still a rebel. Not as much. Thank Jesus. Obedience. This is, this is what this is about. 
This is why. Be, why? Why can't I? I don't see why I can't opposite go to my house. I have a ta- Look at this altar I built. It's gorgeous. I put little shiny stones on it. It's beautiful. I set it up. <laughs> God said, go over there and offer your sacrifice. And so I do so. Why? Because he knows better than I do. And because he said so. And to obey is better than sacrifice. Okay. Verse 5. He finishes this thought up by saying, to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Also, you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. So there's a couple of things to this. God's keeping them honest. Because remember, they had been in Egypt for hundreds of years, like 400 years they were in Egypt. And bad company <laughs> corrupts good character, right? We talked about this at the men's, the men's retreat this weekend. They were in Egypt for 400 years. You think they probably picked up a couple of bad habits as, as worship goes? You know, they didn't even know God's will. All they knew is we hate being slaves. But remember, later on, when God takes them out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness, they begin grumbling and they begin complaining and they begin saying, oh, we miss Egypt. Remember the flesh pots? I mean, what's a flesh pot, first of all? I mean, it's just a crock pot? Okay, crock. That sounds better. Remember the crock pots with leeks and onions and, oh, I'm just manna. Yeah, manna, you know, can't stand. You know, we miss Egypt. We miss Egypt. They longed for it because it's what they knew. But you were slaves. You were literally crying out. You were, being, you were being eradicated. Your children were being thrown into the Nile River. You're being worked to death. And you miss the onions? You miss the onions? You know, my wife used to hate it when we would hang around. Any of my old friends, they'd be like, Thomas, Thomas. And she'd go, oh, here we go. Remember that time? Remember that time? Remember that time? <laughs> But it's so easy to start talking about the good old days, the good old days, the good old days. Remember the good old days? Remember the good old days? Oh, we used to do this, we used to do that. And we so easily can forget how empty we were. We so easily can forget how it felt to have nothing and to be in bondage to things. You forget that part. Just remember the fun we used to have. We used to go down to the lake. Yeah, yeah, remember that time you got so drunk you almost drowned? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget that part. The lake was so much fun, you know. This is the way we are. And God knew that they were carrying a lot of the detestable practices of the Egyptians out of Egypt with them. And he also knew that they were going to a place in Canaan where the inhabitants of that land had a whole bunch of detestable practices that they carried out. And God is making a distinction. You shall not be like the other nations. 
And it's interesting that when they do worship in a false way or worship other gods, God always relates it to adultery. The other, the, the false gods that after which you go a-whoring. And it's like, gee, that's kind of harsh. But that's how God sees us. And when we worship him in a way other than what he's prescribed, it's a, it's a spiritual unfaithfulness. It's a spiritual adultery of sorts. Um, verse 10. And whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwells among you who eats any blood. Remember Red Dawn? Remember that movie, Red Dawn? Anybody? Wolverines! Right? And they go out hunting? No? <laughs> you haven't seen Red Dawn? It's awesome. But however, <laughs> there's, there's one scene where they kill the deer and he, and, he, and, he, and he puts the blood in the cup and he goes, you got to drink it. Once you drink it, you'll never be the same. It's like, yeah, no kidding. There's probably a tick in there, you know. You drink the blood, you know, and it's this whole thing. And I remember as a little kid thinking, oh, that's cool, that's cool. But God has a completely different view on blood and on life. Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Now, notice what God says here. He's not saying you will cut that person off or you will punish that person. God says, I will set my face against that person. I will set my face against that person who eats blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The blood. It's almost as though when God created Adam and Eve, now some scholars even, even debate whether or not Adam and Eve had blood. Before, before the fall of mankind, uh, or if they were in some sort of a glorified state. Remember when Jesus Christ uh, rose from the dead and appeared to the disciples, he, he actually says, I have flesh and bone. He doesn't say flesh and blood. All of his blood had been drained out. He's flesh and bone. We are blood drive, right? That's, that's what runs us. That's, our, that's what makes our bodies work and move is the blood. The life is in the blood. No blood, no life. After we go to be with the Lord and we're in heaven, when we're with Jesus, we will no longer be blood-drive creatures. We will be spirit-drive creatures. Jesus was spirit-drive. That's why he was able to appear. That's why he was able to pass through walls because he was not a blood-drive, flesh-and-blood person, but he was flesh and bone is what he said to his disciples. It's a whole different ballgame. So whether or not Adam and Eve have blood, had blood, we don't know. Or whether God, when the fall happened, he specifically changed everything to being blood drive. You know, this is all just speculation. This is all just free, useless information, okay? For the specific purpose that that blood, which was the life of the beast and of man at that point in time, would be used to cover up sin. The shedding of blood. And, and it's more than just the blood itself. It's life. It's life. It's life for life, right? Only life can cover and atone for sin. The giving, the taking of life. God is, is setting this up. And he's making blood this sacred thing. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you, that is blood, I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who hunts 
and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten. Now, these are non-sacrificial animals. These are animals that don't have to be brought to the door of the tabernacle because they're not given for sacrifice. This is You go out and you hunt, hunt a, a deer uh, and you shoot the deer for food. Um, <clears throat> hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten. He shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. Even those animals that are not for the purpose of sacrifices, their blood is still sacred. There's a, there, there's a sacredness. There's a sanctity to that life. There's a sanctity to that blood. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh. For the life of all flesh is in its blood. And whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, like the roadkill, whether he is a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. Um, I wanted to, to, to talk uh, just a couple of fun facts I, I looked up about blood. Amazing things about blood. Jen, if I, call, call me out. Like if I, because it's me. So if it's, it was online, it can't be wrong. It has to be true. Okay. <clears throat> uh, 58 quarts of blood circulate through your body every hour. That's 3,000 gallons a day of blood circulate through your body. Nearly a, a fourth of the total cells in your human body are red blood cells. So the total number of red blood cells in an adult human body at any given point in time is about 20 to 30 trillion. The total number of white blood cells in an adult human body is between 4,000 and 11,000. And then it said these numbers are our are, are best estimates and vary with, with different uh, people, different size people, and so forth. Um, nearly 2 million red blood cells in an adult human body die every second. Simultaneously, nearly 2 million red blood cells are produced in bone marrow every second so that they can replace the dead ones. You know how that happened? We'll see a bomb went out off in outer space, you see. It makes perfect sense. This is how this happened. Just so you go. You just. Our body, listen to this. This may be really wrong, but it sounded good, so I wrote it down. Our body has about 0.2 milligrams of gold in it. Is that right? And gold is actually in our blood. I actually got that from several different sources. I thought, there's no way. It gives a whole you know, different meaning to being a king's kid, right? Well, there's gold in my blood. I don't know about you. Gold, liquid gold. Um, <clears throat> our blood is what carries, of course, the oxygen and nutrients to every cell in our body. Uh, but as blood goes from arteries to veins to capillaries, which is the arteries and the veins are smaller than the arteries and then the capillaries are smaller than the veins. Capillary uh, actually comes from the word hair it, because that's how small a capillary is. It's like one of your human hairs or even thinner, the capillaries. Now listen to this. The blood cells, as they go from the arteries to the veins to the capillaries, before they get to the capillaries, they line up in single file so that they can squeeze through the capillary. They line up and arrange themselves in single file. They don't just funnel in, because you've been in traffic, right? You know how that works out, when it's one lane ahead, right? And everyone just goes, right? These arrange themselves in single file and then squeeze through the capillaries. And the, the friction that that creates as they squeeze through the capillaries, that's what 
uh, creates your circulation and gives you, you know, if you have poor circulation, or if you have good circulation, you have cold hands, you have warm hands, that's from that friction as those blood cells line up and squeeze through your capillaries. Blood consists of a special type of white blood cell known as granulokehi, <laughs> uh, granulukite, granulukite, something like that. These cells roll along blood vessel walls and hunt for bacteria. If they find any harmful bacteria, granulocytes will destroy, granola will destroy, they will destroy these bacteria by engulfing them as they go along. When you cut yourself, a signal immediately goes out which causes the blood to separate and begin to cause the clotting uh, around the cut. Now this is a very cool thing. Your white blood cells actually will leave, can leave the vein and take the shortest route to the wound. They will break rank, white blood cells, and take the shortest route to where the cut has so they can start fighting infection immediately. Now, how did all that happen? And doctors, of course, and scientists have absolutely no idea how this makes possible. I mean, you and I, of course, know. It's because there was an explosion in outer space, and then a piece of snot landed on a rock, and then lightning struck the snot, kapow! And there it is. A living cell. Wow, it's far out, man. You know, remember that old book from Goo to You by way of the zoo. You know, it it it's, it's it blows my mind mathematically in, in any way to me. You know, people say we're nuts. You're crazy. You you believe in God. You believe in God, God, God. Well, if you believe in God, first of all, at all, if you have any kind of belief in God whatsoever, then the very talk about anything being impossible is preposterous. If you believe in God, he can do anything he wants, okay? He can argue about semantics, about how, how old is the earth really, and this and that and the other thing. But when, when for me, when we're out at the lake, and you're looking at the perfect ecosystem, and how nature all coincides and goes together, and the one thing depends on the other thing, which depends on the other thing, which you watch those blue ocean shows on, on Netflix. You ever see the, those nature shows about the blue, the blue ocean, a blue, and you listen to what they're saying, and then you're like, yeah, my gosh, absolutely random chance. I mean, that makes perfect sense, absolute perfect sense. We serve an amazing creator. And the reason it's called intelligent design is because of the absolutely breathtaking and staggering perfection to the design within the world that God created. And there's so many different things about the human body that are just absolutely amazing. Every single one of our cells has a digitally organized database. You know what I mean? Like we are literally code. We are literally code. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, where'd the first computer come from? Well, my lab blew up, you know, you know and there it was, an Apple computer, you know, or the beginning of an Apple computer. You know, I, it just says to me, I don't know how about you guys feel about that. It makes absolutely no sense. But there is a sacredness. Now, remember, even in the New Testament, when the Judaizers were going around and telling the, the new converts to, to Christianity who were Gentiles, you have to be circumcised and you have to also follow the laws of Moses. Remember, Paul contended against them and, and, there was, and, and Peter contended against them after he was shown that vision and, and went to um, the house of Cornelius. But when they had that council and all the church fathers gathered in Jerusalem and they went, okay, now what do we need to do? What are we going to do about this? And some of them said, you know, the, the Gentiles need to be circumcised and follow the laws of Moses. And Peter 
uh, or not Peter, um, yeah, Peter's the one that stood up and said, why would we put a burden on the Gentiles that neither we nor our forefathers were able to bear? In other words, we weren't able to keep the law, but we're going to ask the Gentiles to keep the law? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And they came to the conclusion that, that, that this is the what they set out. And this is a beautiful thing because of the simplicity of it. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. And abstain from blood. Interesting that the church, even though we are freed from all the dietary restrictions and all of those other things, God still, through the apostles, told the church, I still want you to abstain from eating blood. Blood is sacred. The blood is still where the life dwells, and it's a sacred thing in the eyes of God. So that's all I got. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word and, and uh, just, Lord, for calling our attention to um, what you've said in it, Father, and, and, and what's important and what matters to you, Lord, and how it points to Christ. And we're, we're grateful for the encouragement, Lord, that it can give us, even in the Old Testament, Lord, to, to see that your plan was at work, Father, from, from way, way long ago. Uh, Lord, we're thankful that we could be here together. We pray that you would be with our second service as well and our fellowship in between services, that you would uh, bless our conversation, Lord, that you would be lifted up and magnified in everything that we say and do today here. Uh, Lord, and we pray that you would just be encouraging our hearts, Lord, to draw closer to you and deeper into our walk with, with you through Christ Jesus, Father, and in our knowledge of the word uh, and in our fellowship with each other, Father. We pray that you would help us to be more and more interested and concerned about our spiritual life, Father, and less concerned about the things of this world, Lord, as time goes on, so that we can be prepared for, um, hopefully, Lord, the revival that we pray that you, that you pour out on this world before Jesus Christ comes back. We ask, Father, that you would make us the people that you need us to be, and that you would use us for your glory and for your purposes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.